This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Friday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set with the Toronto Blue Jays losing the series Three games to one. Boston is currently fourth place in the American League East. Five and a half games back from the division-leading New York Yankees, who none of us picked to uh, even make the playoffs. So, ain't that cute. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, and that might this might be very applicable for this show, by the way. Uh, this is not a Homer podcast. We will call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at Cushman MLB. You can find the podcast account at bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. How are you? Is it, um, is it too late to to go and do another uh, a redo of the season preview podcast so that I don't pick the Red Sox to win ninety four games this time? Because <laughs> what were you that's thinking? really that's starting to look pretty rough right now. <laughs> Even Andrew picked ninety, and he's like the the eternal optimist of the crew. Yeah, I'm gonna have to sh- to mess with Jason here because he got me to go from eighty nine because he was so enthusiastic. I, hey, it's not it's not my fault that they just decide to suck. Like you know, it's. I'm not feeling great about it, though. Not good. I'm mad because last year I'm like, yeah, 78 wins, and I feel like I was a year off. And uh, <laughs> hopefully Charlie didn't end up being a year off because he was even lower. But uh, also joining us tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew, how are you? At least it's like 80 degrees out here. That's uh, That's all I got going for me right now. Yeah, it's warmer than us. I think we topped out at like 74 today. What what were you guys, okay. Jason? Oh, we were in the 50s, and it was cloudy and rainy. So it's fitting for the day. Yeah, really fitting. I think it's been a bad week in New England if I was – I yeah. still listen to the Portland station uh, in the truck, uh, which covers all Boston stuff. But all right. Yeah, it's been um, cold, windy, and miserable. So okay. very fitting. Um, I – Forget half the time, but Jason, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Color of the Iris. And Andrew? At Andrew Dwan MLB. Okay. So, another week in Suckville. 
uh, slipped a little bit more in the standings. For the listening audience, today will be April 29th, and the Red Sox have only won one series so far. I mean, it's just brutal. It's it's brutal. Um, and it's there's problems all around the lineup. The, the pitching's been okay, but, like, you're heading into Baltimore, and that's usually a team that you look at and go, okay, a couple of easy wins there, and I'm not looking at it going, if they lose two out of three, they're in last place now. Like, that's a realistic thing that you have to think about because they just, I don't, it doesn't look like they can beat anybody right now. They just look so helpless. Uh, the way they're pitching, Baltimore should only score, like, two combined runs all series. I, I'm at a loss for words right now. The offense makes no sense why it's sucking so badly. And I get the ball in the lineup is pretty atrocious at this point. Dahlbeck looks lost. JBJ's at least taking walks and then who knows what else. But them not being able to string together any sort of hits, one through six, I, I honestly, I, I can't even comprehend it. Well, we're going to be getting into that and uh, possibly in the deep dives episode, which will come out on Saturday, we're going to talk about the baseballs and the effect that that's having uh, on uh, hitting, at least. Maybe we'll talk about some pitching as well, but um, it's very, very wonky in terms of uh, stats and, uh, you know, the ball, so... We'll get into that. Um, before we do get into studs and duds, let's just look at the May schedule. So we're going to end the month with the Orioles uh, starting Friday. Uh, that takes us through May 1st. Then we've got the Angels and White Sox at home. The White Sox should look scary, but they're kind of, you know, sputtering themselves. Then the Red Sox go to Atlanta for two games, then to Texas for three games against the Rangers. That could go either way because they got a murderous offense. Uh, oh, and then it gets tough. We got the Astros at home, the Mariners at home, White Sox uh, in Chicago. Then mercifully, we have the Orioles again for a four-game set. No, a two games. I don't know how they're. Oh, there's a double header. Wow, so that's a five game set <laughs> against the Orioles at the end of the month, because that, that must be where they're. That would have been the opening series of the year. So a five game series at home, uh, and then we've got the worst team in the league at the end of the month. That would be the Reds, who coming into Thursday were three and fifteen. So, so it's still a pretty tough schedule. Uh, you got. You got the Orioles in there, but <laughs> this, I mean, geez, we could be, we could be buried bad <laughs> by the end of, by the end of May. Well, and you know, I know everyone said that April was the tough month when you, you know, reading off that May schedule, the thing that stands out to me, if, I mean, you take out Texas, take out Baltimore, take out Cincinnati, those other teams that you're facing, good pitching. Chicago's got good pitching. The Angels' rotation is not that bad. Houston's got good pitching. Seattle's got good pitching. So if this offense doesn't wake up, you're going to run into, you know, some really, like, Giolitos back from the IL. You're going to run into him. You're going to run into a lot of good pitching down in, in May. So 
the offense really desperately needs to get going. Yeah, luckily we're also getting – I mean, with the Chicago's and the Houston's of the world, we're facing other teams that are not living up to expectations. People in Chicago are pissed off right now. They are angry, and they have every right to be, kind of like Boston. And uh, what's his name? The man, Tony LaRusse is taking a lot of heat. <laughs> They're like, we got a dinosaur in the clubhouse, doesn't know what's going on. I mean, they have Eloy hitting the DL. I, he, did he die? He died, right? <laughs> Do we confirm that? Um, his body might be cold this time. Uh, Houston, not looking great, although Jeremy Pena has looked phenomenal as a replacement for Correa. It's uh, from your neck of the woods, Terry, up in Maine. So, <laughs> Wait, yeah. I, who is that? Pena, the shortstop over in Houston. Oh, wow. Yeah, he okay. went to University of Maine. Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. they have to try to figure out a way to continue pitching like they are. And maybe the warm weather – I don't know, grass mat straws for excuses for this offense at this point. Maybe the warm weather wakes them up. The ball travels further. Who, who the hell knows? They have to do something this month, though. Yeah. And I also – it didn't end up being quite as bad as I thought, but if you go back to the the two regular season months in twenty twenty one, August we were twelve and fifteen, and in September we were fourteen and eleven. But remember, we had to sweep the Nationals there, so we were we were five hundred going into the final series, and then April uh, the best we can do at this point is one game. Uh, under 500 at this point. So, so it's just the stars aren't aligning. And I thought, I mean, this is a better roster than last year. I, and I picked last year's roster to be 78 wins. This is a better, at least pitching wise, it's better. And so it's just crazy how, you know, there's such variance from year to year, but all right, we're going to do studs and duds. We will start on the duds side of things uh, since it was a 3-1 to one series loss. So go ahead, Andrew. Let's start airing it out. Who's your dud? I'm going with a guy that didn't show up the series. And when I say didn't show up the series, I actually mean he could not show up this series, and that is Tanner Houck. We all knew he couldn't go to Toronto. And that screws up your rotation in Toronto. I don't think we fully recognize the effect it was going to have on the series before. Because that screwed him up in Tampa Bay, too. And what he's doing is really screwing this team. I don't even know how we're going to get by if we have both him and Sale in the rotation the same spot in the same time. And we got to mess around with two, potentially three series because they can't bring their asses up to Toronto. This isn't sustainable. Uh, Garrett Whitlock, it's unfair to ask him to go five, six innings at this point. That's not what he's been. It's not what he's stretched out to be. We saw him get kind of not exposed today, but we saw what happens when the pitch count gets high quickly, which he looked good, but it just happens. Guys can fall, fall off some pitches. The umpire can call balls that are right down the middle of the plate balls and all of a sudden you're looking at 18 pitches and that's like two Garrett Whitlock innings right there and we don't have the help in the back end if we have Garrett Whitlock we're not blowing that huge lead again um, the other day with that Deakman 
fluke doubles to the opposite field uh, back-to-back in the ninth inning. That doesn't happen. It's not. They're bringing Whitlock. They're like, game's over, guys. And we're salvaging a split. And we're feeling a whole hell of a lot better about a split where we're giving up about two runs per game to this offensive juggernaut that everyone thinks could be one of the best offenses in MLB history. We are sitting here with a completely different attitude uh, today instead of just being down in the dumps, just feeling just terrible about ourselves and looking forward to the May schedule. We're like, well, we got to make something happen. We got to finish eight games above 500 or else we're screwed. So thanks Tanner. I honestly couldn't care less if they decide to move you at this point, at some point this season, if they can get a guy that can take the ball every fifth day or something to help. I, I, it's just, it, we can't have this. You're not going to be able to move sale. You can't have uh 40% of your rotation not available. What happens in the playoffs? If we make it just doesn't play. Come on, we can't do this. I think the the Tanner Hawk, the part about Tanner Hawk that surprises me is you're looking at a kid who wants to be in the rotation, right? Like he wants to be a starter. You know, Red Sox fans and, and media alike have teased the idea of moving him to the bullpen. And, you know, he's made it very clear he wants to be a starter and he's worked very hard to, you know, be a part of that rotation. So wouldn't you do everything in your power if you were Tanner Houck to make sure that you could pitch in Toronto? If, you know, and we all know what it takes. It's not asking a whole lot. And he's unwilling to do that. So how much do you really want it, dude? How much do you really want to be a starter? Is this just, you just wanted to avoid having to go pitch in Toronto? Like, and, you know, you're going to pass it off as that? Like, it's just a little bit weird coming from a kid who I thought was, you know, gung-ho about I want to be a starter I want to prove to everybody that I belong in this rotation and then you have to stay home because you won't get a shot and you're gonna be out of the rotation for what is one of the most important series on the calendar I know it's only April but this is a team you're looking up at in your division this is a team you're going to be chasing probably all year long and Tanner Houck decides to remove himself from that equation so it's just it's not a great look for his character in my opinion um and i don't like the the trickle down effect of having garrett whitlock start and having him go through some high stress innings like andrew said you know it's it's different when you're a starter because you know it's it's just a different vibe to it guys are fighting harder in the box and all of a sudden he's throwing you know 17 18 pitch innings those are high stress innings which you know puts more stress on his arm and you know, you just don't want to screw this guy up. This is the best thing you have in that bullpen right now. Don't screw it up by turning him into a Daniel Bard or something like that where he's going to become a mental case because he doesn't know if he's a starter one day or a reliever the next. So the trickle-down effect of what, you know, of the Tanner Houck decision, that's what it is. And I don't like it. Um, I hope that, you know, this is an issue that can get resolved. But if it's not, then... Maybe Andrew's right. Maybe it's maybe Tanner Houck doesn't belong in the rotation. I would hate the idea of trading him, but you don't know where Bloom is at with this dilemma. And he did say last year it pains him uh, that players aren't getting vaccinated. Full disclosure, I'm not vaccinated. Uh, I've had COVID at least once, probably twice. 
and I, I'm still at the point now where I'm I'm more frustrated with the circumstances than I am, um, you know, with with Hauk himself. I wonder if there is a tentative plan that maybe hasn't been talked about to where, okay, if things get close, perhaps he will. I know Christian Arroyo was kind of a holdout, but got his over the winter. He quite, he didn't really have the, the standing that a guy like Hauk has, who we're counting on to be a, a big part of our pitching program, whether that's the rotation or the bullpen. So, I mean, he, Hauk is going to be under a lot of pressure. And for me to even bring up the word playoffs right now, you know, sounds like almost fantasy. But if we get close, I I just wonder if, if they'll cave. If I were them and I were a Major League Baseball player, still not vaccinated, I'd probably end up taking it <laughs> because, you know, I'd rather help my team and, not, uh, you know, cause situations like this or, or the distractions that come of it. So it, it's just going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I think what they're hoping is, is that eventually they'll get a reprieve somehow, like Aaron Judge and Kyrie Irving because of the, the New York situation. Maybe they're holding out and they'll... Um, you know, eventually either get it or if they don't have to not get it. But it's interesting. Is Could they be traded? Well, I the other part of this is you have him when he was like, yeah, I can't go. He was like, but I want to do everything to help my team. It's like, dude, no, no. like just shut up. We, that's clearly not the case. I can understand some hesitation on his behalf. This was like two years ago when it was first getting rolled out, but no, I'm sorry. Like you watched what happened to Erod. You've watched what happened to some other, your teammates. And I don't know. I, I think it's selfish for him to not do this for his teammates. And I, you know, if I'm Rich Hill, I'm like, I'm not losing my spot to this scrub. Like, at least I can take the ball. I, I'd be, I'd be pissed off right now if I was, if I was teammates, because they should have won. There was a game in Tampa that they had to jumble the bullpen because they're like, I think Alex's coming in. Well, we don't know because Cora can't be there. And then this, I, I don't know. He's really thrown an absolute wrench into the plans. I wonder if Bloom will put pressure on them because if you look at the story signing, his vaccination status was a big sticking point. Like, Absolutely. You're they, totally correct. They might not have signed him had he not gotten the vaccine. And he did within a day or two after the yep. signing. And Toronto's GM said something similar. He's like, you guys think this is an advantage for us, but there was guy, there were people in free agency we couldn't target. So, I mean, it's kind of working both ways. I, I don't know. I don't know how GMs approach this at this point, and it's going to be interesting to watch going forward. Yep, it will. If somebody's going to cave, is it going to be Hauk or is it going to be Chris Sale? <laughs> I I actually think it would be Chris Sale. 
because I, oh, I, I was gonna say Hauk. <laughs> I, I, uh, it, it could be it could be Hauk just because it, you know he's at risk of actually losing a, ro- a a rotation spot, whereas Chris Sale never will be. But I actually think that Chris Sale is more of a competitor, um, and I think if it came down to pitching important games in Toronto, Sale would he would do it. See, I think that's exactly why Hauk would because he knows Sale is safe no matter what. So I, I think. Hauk may end up feeling a little more vulnerable as far as this standing in the team and then ultimately cave. But, but uh, yeah, the two slider happy guys uh, don't have the shot yet. Well, all right, uh, Jason, go ahead. Your dud for the series. Yeah, my dud was Trevor Story. Um, played three games out of the four. Two for 13 in the series with an RBI double and a, I think he had a, a base hit as well. A um, couple of walks, but also a couple more strikeouts. Look, we all know the offense is struggling mightily right now. And a lot of people are, you know, rightfully so, are pointing to Jackie Bradley Jr., Bobby Dahlbeck, Christian Vasquez, Christian Arroyo. But those are bottom of the order guys. And you sort of expect them to struggle at the, or at the very least when they do struggle, you go, okay, yeah, of course they are. Trevor story was brought here, was paid handsomely to be an offensive catalyst at the top end of your lineup. And whether he's been hitting fifth or leadoff or whatever, he just hasn't been doing that. He'll get like a base hit every now and then he'll steal a base and everyone go, okay, yeah, Trevor story. There we go. He's kind of waking up, but He still has no home runs, and the strikeout-to-walk ratio now, I believe, is 19 strikeouts to five walks. And, look, that's not just an exclusive Trevor Story problem. The entire Red Sox lineup does not walk, which is a huge problem. They they just – they hack away. They strike out a lot. But Trevor Story is striking out a lot more than I thought he would. And the defense has been a little erratic. I mean, he's made some nice plays over at second base, but we saw it earlier in the series where, you know, he can't turn a double play because he's double clutching the ball. Um, We saw it, you know, a week ago where he's costing you games because he's throwing the ball in the dirt away from Bobby Dahlbeck. And, you know, it's just, it's been way too erratic and not steady enough. So offensively, he's struggling. Defensively, he's struggling. And I do worry about, you know, you brought a guy away from Coors and you know at Coors he hit home runs left and right now he's playing in other ballparks and he's facing a lot more right-handed pitching and is Trevor Story getting exposed a little bit I certainly hope not but so far the you know granted it's not a huge sample size but there's some reason to be concerned because Trevor Story is uh he's just not getting it done right now and it's a big reason why this offense is struggling because it's basically just Bogart's Devers and JD when he's healthy they're the only guys who are hitting other than that you know and and Trevor Story's got to be one of those guys he's got to step it up soon I'm not panicking too much on Trevor Story yet his exit velocity is ticking up a little bit lately um he is getting to everything at second I do think a lot of this is mental trying to figure out the new arm angle um on throws how to position your body on double plays. We saw that, like you said, uh, really rear its ugly head the other day. 
so I do think it's a comfort level thing right now, and I don't, I don't know what we'd be seeing right now if he signed day one of free agency. If he had a full spring training, I did. What do you get? Like eight at bats max or something like that. So I'm not worrying too much about him for another month. I, I think he's going to work in, and I do like him at the top of the lineup. I like the element of speed he brings. Um, but he does need to start barreling up some more balls here because his barrel rate isn't what we want to wa- what we want to see. His hard hit percentage is only the 14th percentile, out above average. Defensively, he's sixth. He we we got to get something here. Barrel percentage is 39th, so he might be pressing right now. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I went to enough Rocky games here that I know he he should figure this out pretty soon. Yeah, and you know, you're. I'm starting to see a little bit of the Colorado stuff on social media. You know, the fact that he came from one of the more hitter friendly parks. And to Jason's point, story slugging percentage only 293. I mean, that's, you know, that's down there. He did almost have a home run to straightaway center i think in game three of the series that was the seven to one win or perhaps that was the ill-fated rally we had i I don't remember but but like andrew said it's ticking up the the one thing that keeps me from getting really discouraged is you're not seeing anything in his body language that suggests he's frustrated he's lost he doesn't look like bobby dahlbeck up at the plate right now or travis shaw even who uh, continues to be hitless and walkless uh, on the year. So I think things will go in the right direction for him uh, at some point. Still uh, still my favorite signing in, in a while. So, all right. Coming in hot with mine. My dud for the series is Alex Cora. I know I'm in the minority. I get it. And the audience probably rolling their eyes right now. But you win a game in game three. You got a chance to tie this thing and salvage a split, which we would have been thrilled with before game one. We would have been happy with a split against Toronto. Xander Bogarts goes three for five on... Uh, Wednesday, game two of the series. Oh, no, excuse me. That would have been Tuesday, game two of the series. Then he goes four for four with a walk on on Wednesday. So he's seven for nine. And then Alex Cora arrests him, and we lose the last game of the series one to nothing. You take the hottest guy out of your lineup, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I can't wait to not have to deal with Xander Bogart's high maintenance, always needing rests. He's not a gamer. This team is nothing like the 2004 team that mo- most of whom played a minimum of 150 games. If you look it up, I think Bill Miller, a little bit injury prone. Trot Nixon had an injury that year, but these aren't the the previous generation. This millennial generation is soft, and this team has no balls. They're they're not getting it done. 
they're they're not showing any fight. If anything, they're showing fright because we're blowing these games late and we're not coming up in big spots. Uh, and I'm just so tired of it. And I think Alex Cora babying them. I'm just so tired of it. I'm so tired of it. And we talked about the May schedule here. We could be buried. The season could be over after May. If, if we have another four or five games under 500, I, I don't like the leadership. I don't like the lack of urgency and I'm tired of it. Yeah. I mean, that lineup today was like almost offensive to me that again, you have a chance to split with the team that you're going to be chasing in the division all year long. You sit your hot, you know, your offense is struggling and you sit your hottest hitter. Now JD had to sit. And I think that was more injury related because he looked, he looked rough running the bases uh, on Wednesday. So fine. Okay. The JD thing I get, but he also sat Devers earlier in the series. He gave him a rest. Um, and it's just the, the Alex Cora, like giving all these rest days in April because, oh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Okay, we get that. But when your team is floundering and you're burying yourself in April, you know, almost May now, like, I don't know, can you really afford to take the marathon, not a sprint approach the whole time? Again, you lost by one run today. You lost a one nothing game. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that if Bogarts had started, it would have automatically been different, but who knows? The guy was on fire. He would have at least set up a couple more opportunities for, you know, for a run to, or runs to be produced. You know, Jackie Bradley hitting fifth. I mean, come on. Now, look, part of this is a large part of it's on Cora, a big part of it's on Bloom because Cora's, you know, Bloom brought, bought the groceries. Cora's just trying to make the best dinner out of it that he can. So it's not his fault that Travis Shaw's on this roster. It's not his fault that Jackie Bradley Jr. is his starting right fielder. It's not his fault that Christian Arroyo is still here for some reason. It's not his fault that Christian Vasquez is still his catcher. So I get that. But I don't know. The, the rest days and the lack of urgency, I just – and I know what the Red Sox would say. I know what Cora would say. Well, it's a long season. we got plenty of time. Okay, well, at what point are we allowed as fans to actually start worrying? And saying, okay, you don't have as much time as you think. Because like you said, that that May schedule is not a whole lot better. And if you find yourself in fourth place, maybe even fifth, by middle to end of May, are we still going to be sitting here going, oh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Don't worry, guys. I don't think so. So I, I agree. That lineup by Cora today was a joke. And him just basically telling his team and telling the fan base, hey, we're going to punt on this game because – Xander needs a rest is ridiculous. I'm not putting any it on Xander. Um, I don't know if you guys saw Cora's comments this morning. I can read off really quick. It's only a few sentences. Because you guys know how I operate with this. People might say he's hot. He's swinging it, right? But all the moving around for X amount of days, playing on the turf, moving around, playing the position he plays. We talked about it over the weekend. And we picked this day. We have to be disciplined. I understand it. I it's an unfortunate circumstances circumstance that it happened when it did. Um, again, if they had won that game that they blew in the ninth, I don't think we're 
complaining as much about this move. The, it corresponding with JD, definitely not 100% whatsoever. He looked like trash when he was running the bases the other day. That that kind of just snowballed the whole effect. I, I, I think they're – I don't know if you guys are familiar with – what the Rams do in football, where they track every single uh, step that the players take throughout the week. Cause they dedicate, they give every single player a certain amount of stress um, on their body. And that's how they can determine when to rest certain players. Cause they're like, you have this certain amount of stress that you can put on your body in a given amount of time. And I think the Red Sox under Cora have kind of adopted the same uh, approach. Now, I'm fine with them resting today if that means he's going to play the next 15 games in a row. If he gets a rest in four games, unless there's a visible injury, then then we're getting a little carried away because this early rest should let him gear up for extended periods. Like Devers had played, I think it was 17 straight games to that point. So I get him resting, but if we're going to take these intermittent breaks, we have to take them at more appropriate times. And we have to make sure we're taking advantage of extended periods of playing time. If we're going to rest a guy and rest our two best hitters and line up at the same time. JD was out of the lineup again today as well. Like you guys said, injury related, he had a hit in every game as well was four for 13 in, in those three games. So when you take that bat out of the lineup and then you take Xander's hot bat out of the lineup and you're replacing him, you're replacing those guys with Christian Arroyo and, and uh, Travis Shaw. You're going from like this, the needle the speed limit needle, like topping out at, you know, 160 to the extreme other end of the spectrum. You're, you're going so far backwards with production expectations. You look at that lineup and it's, it's, to me, it's an automatic loss, Uh, just completely punting on it. And I know core is my dud, but it bothers me that, that Bogarts isn't, you know, willing to run through walls. I mean, look at Shane Victorino in 2013. The dude was hurt all year, but he forced himself into the lineup and was a massive presence. Dustin Pedroia, another guy of recent history. I was a Pedroia hater for a multitude of reasons, but I could never trash his toughness or his his willingness to go out there and take the ball and 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 do what you got to do. And it just bothers me that there's no toughness with this team. And I I've used this analogy quite a bit, but that O four team came da- came back from three to nothing. This team would never do that. We'd get swept or we'd lose four to one in in the series. This isn't, this isn't a tough team. Here's the other bad news in this entire world series era. The Red Sox have never surged in the second half to win the division or come back from, you know, being 500 at, you know, just before July 31st, they've never surged. It's never happened. We've, we've either won the division handily right from the outset, 
or we've just barely limped in. And that's what happened last year. We nearly blew it. We were we lost a series to Baltimore in the next to last series. There was no urgency with that team. And it's carrying over right now. <laughs> this is this is the same slumping Red Sox that we saw in in August and September. I'm glad they got hot for a week and a half in October. It was great for the podcast. Our audience grew immensely because of that. But they, they've got to show us something. And, and to me, it, it's leadership. Look at the Mets under, under Buck Showalter. Is there a more fired-up team in MLB right now than, than the Mets? Yeah. <clears throat> and I, me personally, I can't help but look at the Bogart situation. Like you said, you know, you asked, you know, is Bogart's really, is he willing to run through a brick wall for this team? Well, maybe if he was offered a decent contract, he would. You know, I mean, if, if he's going to be getting offered low ball contracts and basically being told by management that they don't want him, maybe he's okay with getting these rest days because he's going, you know what? Sure, Alex, I'll sit today. I'm playing for a contract anyway, so I have no problem getting an extra rest day and keeping my legs healthy. No problem. I'll give, I'll come back tomorrow and get four more hits for you. That'll that'll extend my my profile a little bit. I mean, I me personally, I just I can't help but bring it back to that. It's like if he had the contract he wanted, Maybe he'd be a little more like fire and brimstone in the clubhouse going, no, I, I want to play in this game. You're not sitting me. I'm red hot right now. Let me let me get in there. But he doesn't have one, so he's just kind of going, yeah, okay, I'll sit. And I've also used this analogy, and it's kind. Of, this is kind of a, an apples and oranges thing, but when Beckett, Lester, and Lackey would come off the mound and Francona would take the ball from them, they dropped five F-bombs before they got to the dugout. And that type of of competitiveness and, you know, desire to just go all out all the time, that's contagious. And we're I'm not, not giving we're not saying Beckett that right now. and Lackey any credit for showing <laughs> toughness when they quit on a team that spent ungodly sums of money and were getting shit-faced in the clubhouse and couldn't pick up a ball because their hands were covered in chicken grease. Uh, I'm giving Xander, uh, I'm giving him the nod over those two. 2011 was ugly. I can't deny that. But, you know, before and after that, in 2013, well, that was with John Farrell, but those guys still didn't want to come off the mound. And uh, like I said, it's it's contagious and we just don't see that. The, this team it's boring. There's just no there's just no fire and there <sighs> we need a we need, hang on. We need a Nolan Arenado on this team to go up and get in everybody's faces in between every inning and get these guys fired up. I I'm not saying Bogart's you know, I'm not saying He's a, he's a bad leader or a bad influence, but he's not the guy that's gonna that's gonna light the fire. There's no atmosphere because they're losing. <laughs> I think we'd see some more personalities if they were on a roll. I I think this team does like each other, and they want to do well, but they, it's just not there. I it's only going to take a handful of games put together at once, which they haven't been able to do to get this team on a roll, in my opinion. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not writing them off at this point. Just 
so to say. I think we need Tristan Casas up as soon as we can. I mean, he's not playing bad right now, but I know it's it's a delicate thing, and you don't want to you don't want to rush it. You don't want to put a ton of pressure on him. But I don't see what good if we're twelve and twenty two. What what good is it to call him up at, at that point? Um, but that could bring a little bit of energy. I still. I wouldn't have brought back Vasquez. I would have tried to flip the chemistry of the roster as best as but I could. They did. This off they, tried they, tried, they thought they had a new catcher. Well, and with Stallings, but yeah, I would have. I would have tried harder to to flip it a little more. But I'm I'm frustrated with the leadership. It's April. I'm sure Core is gonna make me mad at some point in May, or or one of the other guys. But I'm just. I'm really, I'm really frustrated. Uh, another thing that frustrates me, uh, I don't know if it'd be unfair to say Evaldi was a dud, but that whole situation, he, he pitches seven innings, uh, 72 pitches and will Venable lifts him. And, uh, but it wasn't Venable. That, that wasn't his plan. He did speak after the game that, they liked Strom against a certain part of the order late, and that's why they did it. But why are you messing with that when he only 72 pitches, 56 were strikes? So probably one of his best starts of the year. And I just, for, for an organization that tries to downplay how intensely it, it looks at analytics, that was a terrible look. You sh- you should have left Evaldi in there. You're probably not going to sign him after the season. There were no conversations whatsoever to bring him back. You may as well ride him like a rented mule, at least on a night like that. Yeah, I mean that that was purely just Alex Cora going to the binder. And no, the binder that was Venable. And- Cora was out. Oh, okay. Well, Cora that maybe communicating that to Venable. I'm sure you know. They had a game plan going in. So, yeah, but it was Venable going to the, the binder and saying, okay, we like Strom against, you know, these batters. We like that matchup. So forget the fact that Ivaldi's cruising. Forget the, you know, let, let's just take all the feeling out of that and let's go to what the matchup says. And it bit them. It bit them in the ass. And it was just that that's, you're right. It, it's one of those things where don't tell us that your, you know, analytics don't rule everything you do when that was purely an analytics-driven move. Um, that drove me nuts too. That was ridiculous. Yeah, they should have left him in. I mean, there's not much more to say. There was no reason to take him out at that point. Lester Lackey and Beckett would have dropped F-bombs, especially like, oh my God, I'm mowing these guys down. But yeah, I had to get that in one more time. Um, All right, so let's get through the dishonorables here. Jackie Bradley Jr., 0 for 15 on the series, drew one walk, so he got on base once. Uh, It's the typical Bradley fall off after not not having a a terrible start to the season. So not not great there. Um, Jason covered story. He was 2 for 11. Alex Verdugo put back at the top of the lineup for much of the series. I think he was actually in the two-hole for a lot of it. Um, only two for 12, uh, after hitting much better in the, in the middle part, uh, albeit against good pitching. Um, yeah. So where, where are we at? 
Just looking into the pitching now. Pitching wasn't terrible. I mean, Diekman coughed up the the second game in the ninth inning, uh, gave up three hits, and uh, just not sharp. But I think that's who he is. I think he's going to be one of those finicky guys who has finicky stuff. If he's not locating, it's it's going to get ugly fast. And, and then he's going to have really impressive outings that – that dazzle you and and he's just going to be a guy of of two different extremes at times and and that's who he is yeah it's it's hard for me to really get on any of the pitching um this series was to me was all about your offense just not showing up um really except for one game where they happened to string together seven runs but for the most part the offense just did not show up to support the pitching at all. Nick Pavetta, you could say he had a he had a rough outing, but he actually did look a little bit better. The velocity was up at least. Um, he just kind of got knocked around again. It's tough to see. He he's fighting through it. You can tell. Which I will say, you know, if you're looking for people with fire, Pavetta has some fire in him, which I do like. He he toughs it out. He doesn't like to be taken off the mound, even when he's struggling. Um, so, you know, I. I I feel bad for Nick Pavetta right now, but I'm also like, come on, dude, you, you've got to step this up because you're you're the number two starter right now, and it needs to be better. Deekman, I mean, the double down the left field line by Tapia was ridiculous. That made no sense. The pitch was out of the strike zone and high, and he hit it. <laughs> I, don't, I honestly, God, don't know how he hit it the other way, and then the same exact thing happened the next at bat. It was just a fluky thing where you're like, all right, this is just going to snowball. But we held this team to barely any offense. No one would have seen this. I like no one would have predicted that they would have been able to keep Toronto in check for two series now offensively. And that's what still gives me hope. Just give me 80% of what we expected offensively. And this team is in first place. I don't know why Robles wasn't used uh, late in that game. They they went to Barnes, who, I mean, let's face it, they they signed Barnes to an extension, and they're desperately trying to salvage it, and that's not working out so well at the moment. And, uh, and then they had Strom, but that was a spot I probably would have would have went with Robles. He he didn't pitch the night prior, so I, I don't see why you you leave that bullet in the chamber. Yeah. I feel like they're scrambling when it comes to the bullpen right now, at least in, you know, late inning situations, it's hard for them to know at this point who to trust in, in what situation. Cause a lot of these guys have looked great at times and then they've looked like disasters the next. So it's the bullpen is kind of a toss up at this point. The rotation has been pretty solid, but bullpen can be a toss up. You know who would have been great in the bullpen? Garrett Whitlock. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, again, go back. Bullpen again, Andrew? I, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Something about Tanner Happ failing eighth grade science. I'm not too sure. I he that he probably could have pitched two games this series. If they didn't have him go long, he could have closed out the other night and then pitched again today. I, it's aggravating. Uh, it, it remains to be seen what they're going to do with him. Only three innings today, albeit with a high pitch count. But 
All right. I could go on and on about my frustrations right now, but it's getting late. We got to get into studs here. Uh, go ahead, Andrew. You're stud for the series. Lots like to everyone, pick from. Pre- everyone predicted it's John Schreiber. He's actually really fun to watch. He pitched uh, two in the third inning. I think he only let up one hit, might have struck out a couple of guys. It, he looked great. And again, this is not a pitcher that we would have been like, oh, God, like he's facing Toronto. He's going to let up five runs here. No, he, he held his own, and maybe we have something here. He looked decent in his cup of coffee last season, so I'm not putting him in the circle of trust, even though it's not even a circle, it's a dot. Um, he, I'm giving him some confidence here. I, I'd like to see him in this Baltimore series coming up. Yeah, I, I liked what I saw from Schreiber. Um, I liked the, the delivery, that sort of drop-down you know, right-handed delivery. That's tough for right-handers. Um, you have a light, a lot of uh, powerful right-handed hitters in your division and in the American League in general, to be fair. So maybe he comes, he becomes useful there. He kind of reminds me of like that Taylor Rogers up out in San Francisco. He throws similar to him, and you know he's been known to mystify hitters as well. So I don't know how long it will last. I don't know if hitters will figure him out. Um, his stuff looks pretty average at, at times so you know it, it could be just uh, a little bit of luck right now and you know hitters just aren't used to him but why not i mean you know ride the kid as long as as long as you can because if that delivery is tough for guys to pick up then use it why not did he pitch for us last year at the big league level he did okay i have no memory of that whatsoever so um yeah, good pick. All right, Jason, who's your stud for the series? I'm going with Michael Waka, um, who is right now your second most reliable starter behind Nathan Avaldi. Um, he was really good in the series. Pitched six innings, struck out five. Um, you know, held to Toronto just one run, and he's been a lot better than I expected. I had a lot of worries about Michael Waka coming in here, especially when you found out that. You know, they were going to use him in the rotation. He had a bad season last year. Um, and I just, it was one of those moves that I sort of scratched my head at because he had a really bad year and then Kyle Bloom gave him a pay raise and brought him here. But he's been good. You know, the, the changeup looks good. That's his calling card, obviously. Um, I know that when he got here, he talked about them working with him on his mechanics and trying to fix a few things that he was doing last year that they didn't like. So maybe they... They did. Maybe they figured that all out. And obviously he's a a veteran, you know, gamer. He, he can go deeper into games than most of your rotation can. Um, you know, six innings this, this last outing at 92 pitches. Funny, they wouldn't let Evaldi go to 92 pitches, but Waka can. Um, but it was good to see. It was good to see a pitcher at least get into the 90s in a pitch count and, you know, still be keeping runners off the base pass. So he's been good. Um, I You know, again, this rotation is going to get a shakeup down the road when guys get healthy, Sale and Paxton, and some guys going to lose their spots. I think Michael Waka is making a case that he should, he does not deserve to lose his, at least right now. So hopefully he keeps it up because uh, they need more of that. Yeah. Um, Michael Waka is the fourth highest war in the AL for pitchers right now. Really? Nice. I don't, yeah, I don't think – I mean, I was – decently high on him when they signed him. I thought maybe he'd be a bit more of a swingman. Um, 
we haven't had to move him to that spot yet. So if we can get a few more weeks out of this until Sale and um, James Paxton come out, then if he starts to falter or show some fatigue, maybe we have to think about what, where we put him there. But until then, enjoy the ride. And, you know, it's not like he's a 35-year-old, you know, beaten horse here. He's only 30. He he. He it just seems like he's been around forever because we watched him pitch pitch in that 2013 World Series uh, for St. Louis. But I I think they might have uncovered something here, and thank God that they did. Well, his changeup last season in the final six weeks of the year, he had a very good stretch there. Uh, I didn't think that was a big enough sample size to to pay him eight million on, and it was probably my least favorite signing at the time uh, last winter because it just seemed like an extension of the previous winter signings, which I hated, you know, and I thought he was going to be trash. Admittedly, I'm extremely impressed. I I hope I eat a ton of crow on this throughout the year. Um, He's been impressive. And one of you just mentioned we're going to have guys coming back, you know, sale Paxton at some point. You only have so many guys on the 40 man because they're they're going to be activated from the 60 day IL. I'm wondering if a guy like Nick Pavetta, if he doesn't figure it out, if he's in danger of being DFA'd. The, I, no, go ahead. Sorry, I I mean he would never get DFA'd. Any team will take on that. Um, well, he arm. could he could be traded, I guess. But yeah, he'll, like a, yeah, the true any second division team would take him in a heartbeat. Shit, uh, Tampa Bay tried to trade for him before the Red Sox did, so I think even they would take a flyer on him. Yeah, you you could trade him, I guess. Um, but I just wonder if he's the odd man out and just isn't a part of this organization going forward. Rich Hill could be a candidate for that, being on on short money, but. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Yeah, I, I think it would be more likely that a like a Phillips Valdez gets DFA'd and gets cut, and like Tanner Houck gets moved to the bullpen, and then Sale takes his spot, or you know someone else in the bullpen, uh, you know gets DFA'd, like maybe a Schreiber if he doesn't work out, and Rich Hill gets moved to the bullpen, and you know something like that. I don't think that. Pavetta is at risk of, of losing anything. Maybe he gets traded and, you know, if he's really bad and they, they want to just get rid of him. But um, I think it's more likely that one of your fringe bullpen guys gets cut and they rearrange things rather than that. I'm not sure how well Hill would translate to the pen. I'm not saying they wouldn't try it, but um, I don't know. I just feel like there, there could be a surprise at, at some point. Um, so when those, ha- hopefully we're competitive when those guys start to get called up cause the, they're still, I mean, you're two full months out. So that's what 40 games, at least 50, maybe. So yeah. All right. My, my stuff for the series, I'm just, I'm not giving it to Bogarts, even though he was impressive eight for 14, I'm going with Kike Hernandez, uh, Kike drove in runs in three of the four games, so he was productive with his four hits. Uh, he was a part of that ill-fated rally in game two. Um, so 
he's a guy we Bogarts has been hitting well, but Kike has been a guy we've needed to kind of break through, get into a rhythm and start being productive. And, and we're starting to see that. And interestingly, they had him down in the, the five or six hole for a couple of those games. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where his placement in the lineup will be uh, in the coming days. Yeah, I know he was hitting cleanup today, but that was mainly because Bogarts and JD were out and they wanted Story back at the top of the lineup. Um, yeah, Kike's waking up a little bit. I mean, I'd like to see a little more pop from his bat, but that's kind of a problem all across the league. And maybe it should, he's just waiting for the weather to warm up a little bit. Um, but he, he gives you professional at-bats. He's one of the few guys that will take a walk in this lineup, which is nice to see too. Um, the defense has still been there, so... He's he's getting there. It's been a slow start, but ultimately, I think uh, you know we'll, we'll get the Kike we got from last year, pretty much coming up pretty soon. Yeah, hopefully this gets him going. I mean, we talked about dropping him down during last week's deep dive, and we need him up at the top of the lineup. So if this can jumpstart him and give him the kick in the ass that seems to have needed, that that's one key to getting the lineup going again, and then. Story can go to maybe two, Devers to three. We can figure it out. String two, maybe three hits together. I know it's a foreign concept to them right now, but that's what it's going to take. It's not going to take solo shots throughout the lineup. It's going to take station to station, maybe a home run here or there, but he's got to work with what you got. And uh, interestingly, like I said, Alex Verdugo only two for 12. So maybe you start to see Kike and Story. Uh, at the top, and then Verdugo back down to uh, fifth or sixth, and that kind of gets things going. So, uh, all right, uh, let's see. Uh, any other honorable mentions? We won't really spend much time on this. Devers, five for 15. Uh, only three strikeouts in the series, so that seems to be uh, trending in the right direction. JD, like I said, uh, four for 13 Vasquez three for eight. It's weird. Cause some of these lines just aren't terrible throughout the series, but they just couldn't, they just couldn't drive in runs. So, uh, pitching wise, uh, Schreiber, as we said, um, Austin Davis, who Jason viciously roasted, not saying it wasn't deserved at the time, but, uh, he has his ERA down to 289, so trending very much the right way. We're extremely lefty-heavy. Uh, we've got Davis, Strom, and Diekman currently on the roster. A couple more in waiting. Darwin's in and Josh Taylor. Austin Davis has no options left, so uh, that's going to be another interesting situation uh in the coming days so all right let's go ahead and get into the orioles uh pitching matchups which i do not have up at the moment let's see right here okay so on uh let's see front oh, this is lame i've got all the red sox pitchers but no orioles pitchers Rich Hill gets the start on Friday, which makes me nervous, not going to lie. I mean, <laughs> is he going to be the guy to help right the ship? 
I mean, the Orioles can hit, too. They got some hitters in that lineup. Yeah, according to ESPN, it's Rich Hill against Spencer Watkins. Okay. Um, who admittedly, I don't know a ton about. He's got decent numbers on the season so far, but um, I just, yeah, I mean, the Orioles can hit, but I, I don't think they can pitch. I think most of their pitching is is pretty below average. Um, I know this, you know, Watkins has been with them for a while, but I don't think he's anything special, so I'm not too worried about him. Yeah, I'm going to beat the drum all serious prediction for this, that this is the time that they wake up. I I have zero fears about this Baltimore team. I just can't help but be fearful. I, I'm not going to lie. Um, so, Jason, you got him up. Who, uh, who do we have on Saturday? For the Red Sox, it's Nathan Avaldi. Yeah, Saturday's the one that ESPN doesn't have for Baltimore. It still says undecided. All right. So that might be a bullpen game. Who knows? And if we blow that one, yeah. shame on us. If you us. lose that one with Evaldi on the mound, we got big problems. Season's yeah. over. My, bu- <laughs> my buddy Robbie just messaged me and says he wants Will Myers. So that's random. Uh, Sunday, Nick Pavetta, again, makes me nervous. What are we getting? And he, I, we, I didn't mention it, but he walked four people. So he was getting away with some stuff. And that could have been an ugly outing against Toronto. But um, so who does he go against? Uh, he's going against Z- Jordan Miles. Oh, okay. So he's veteran, journeyman. Yeah. Well, he sucks. But you know what? He did have one good pitching performance against us last year. I think he was with the Rangers. And we got... It was just one of those. We we did terrible against bad pitchers last year. Every time I thought we were going to crush one of them, we just got stifled. So so I'm going to say we're not sweeping though. I'll I'll say 2 to 1. I I agree. I'm going to go 2 out of 3. I think we'll win the Saturday and Sunday games. Um Evaldi against whoever they're going to toss out and I think Pavetta will turn around a little bit and still a better outing on Sunday. I hope the offense shows up. Um, keep in mind, Camden Yards is not, you know, like playing on the moon anymore. They move the fences back, and we've got dead in baseballs. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see if, if the power shows up in Baltimore this weekend. But I still think they'll take two out of three. Clean sweep for me. <laughs> All right. We're rooting for Andrew's take. Uh, and that would put us one game under 500 if it happens. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. We will wrap on that. Deep dives will come out. So that'll be a Saturday morning release if anybody has a road trip this weekend and want to take us along with you. Going to be kind of talking about the baseballs, how that's affecting offenses, perhaps how offenses should um adjust to the circumstances uh, could, could be on there. So uh, check for that and everybody have a great weekend. Take care.